Hey, welcome to Respond Worship Podcast. This is Jeremiah Jones, your host, and I'm here with our retreat pastor for the 2020 retreat, Peter Buckland. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. It's good to be here. Yes. Thank you for being here with us. This podcast episode is for those that are coming um, to the retreat on the road. This is a road trip episode. We've done this a couple times already, and we've had uh, some good response from it. So that's why we're here, Peter. We're going to just get to know you a little bit, kind of talk Great. about what the retreat is, uh, what people are going to get themselves into, mm-hmm. and then maybe have some discussion questions that they can maybe talk to their teams about mm-hmm. on the road while they're on their way. So. Mm-hmm. I'm going to step away from this mic a little bit and let you talk a little bit. Great. That's okay. That's fine. All right. Great. And who is Peter Buckland? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am a pastor at Christ Church of Ornogo currently and an adjunct professor at Ozark Christian College. I've been married to my wife for 36 years and have three grown children, Audrey, Austin, and Alex. Uh, Two of them are married. And um, we have one really big, fun family experience when we all get together. Uh, We're a family that has had a lot of challenges also, which we'll talk a little bit about today. Um, But we have had a lot of experiences that uh, God has shown up in and helped us to address and deal with those. Um, I've had the privilege of working uh, with a lot of different kinds of people over the years. Um, I have been an an executive director of a children's home, as well as running the child care program at Cookson Hills a number of years ago. And I had a 20-year stint as a full-time professor at Ozark Christian College until two and a half years ago when I resigned that position to become a pastor at Christ Church of Ornogo. I also have an opportunity to teach about spiritual formation and uh, deal with how people can be close to the Lord um, in in and out of all kinds of various life circumstances. Um, And probably last and and maybe more significant, I have an opportunity to work with people in uh, pastoral counseling. So I've had an opportunity to talk to people through all the ups and the downs of their lives and um, help to create um, kind of a wellness plan and help for people to move forward through whatever challenges that they have. My position at the church allows for me to help create um, significant spiritual experiences in the different ministries of the church. So I uh, am really privileged to work with a really great staff and um, keep our eyes on Christ as we all strive to be like him. And it's, it's just been a really great experience for me to uh, make that transition. And I'm really looking forward to being at the uh, worship retreat and um, just help people who are there to work through uh, where they're at in their relationship with the Lord and uh, do that through uh, the venue of the worship experience. Great. Yes. And we've known you for a while as far as the, the, the leadership team is concerned. I think you've had each one of us as a student at some point or another. Uh, and so we knew your track record. We knew that you'd be perfect for this theme of peaks and valleys. Um, and I know that you've been through a lot of those um, recently, yes. and uh, I have as well. And, I, and actually, when I think it's almost two years ago when we came up with this theme, um, it really popped into my head because it was it's something that I've dealt with my whole life. You know, there's just this peak and valley moment. I know I'm not the only person. I think that's why God really put that on my heart is like, you know, this is going to be something that everyone's going to be able to resonate with well. Um, so let's talk about that theme a little bit. Yeah. Um, maybe just talk about the... What, what people are going to get in, into, um, you know, you could use the homiletic term support text, you know, what is that support text for the weekend? Um, maybe just riff off of that a little bit. From a standpoint of our 
life experiences. The uh, the peaks and the valleys are natural expressions of what it's like to live within a broken world. And oftentimes, uh, we find ourselves in situations that we don't want to be in. Uh, something will happen, and as a result of that, uh, we have challenges that we have to deal with. Uh, my most recent and biggest challenge was uh, two and a half years ago when my wife was hit by a car. Uh, she was out walking the dog early in the morning, and um, a young man who had had his license for three weeks didn't see her. He had failed to clean off the dew on the windshield and the side windows of his car. And he cut a corner and ran right into her while she was waiting to cross the street. Um, her injuries were very severe. She had to um, have a reconstructed pelvis and a new left hip and um, had to learn how to walk again. Um, her recovery uh, has been phenomenal, uh, but it has been a very traumatic experience for both my wife and for me and for our family. And um, in having an opportunity to speak about the peaks and the valleys, uh, Psalm 23 um, has a statement that has been really meaningful to me. Um, I have journeyed with God personally, since I became a Christian at age 13, and I am 60 right now. So I've had a long, long history with um, cancer deaths in the family and illnesses with my kids and challenges that I have had. But this last experience has been by far the single most difficult experience that I've had to deal with. And um, the statement by David of um, Jesus walking with us through the valley of the shadow of our suffering has been really meaningful to me. Um, not only do I know that God is with us, but experientially it's in these difficult time periods that God magnifies his presence and his ability. And I think what people forget is that while we recognize that celebration is a part of our heart's language, um, so is suffering and sorrow. And we tend to exclude that from our spiritual experience as much as possible because nobody likes it. And a lot of times we don't know what to do with that when we have suffering within the congregation. And yet God has said that he is our ever have our ever present help and he will journey with us and his rod and his staff will comfort us, which is really pretty amazing. His, his presence and his unique abilities are what he magnifies for us. And that's worth celebrating. Um, I remember when the tornado came through Joplin uh, in 2012. And the Sunday after, um, all the churches had a lot of people in them. And the worship was very subdued, but it was extremely meaningful. Um, 163 people died that day. Um, a third of the city was wiped out. And um, in the midst of that crisis, there still is this sense that God in his rich provision in a fallen world somehow will help us to get through. And I think that's the, the emotional stability of Psalm 23 in, in that passage, that even though we walk through this valley that nobody wants to be in with a story that nobody wants to have, that God reaches us and helps us and uh, ministers to us and strengthens us and connects us, not only to himself, but to the body at large. And 
the way that we can corporately grab that um, is really incredibly important. Um, I'm also an elder at Christ Church. We have um, right around 2,800 people who come on a regular basis. And um, when I look out at the church and then I hear people's stories, I see people who look normal, who are suffering terribly. And they don't want to wear their suffering for everybody to see it, but they want people to journey with them in their story. And um, being able to grab a hold of God caring for us when we have a story we don't want to have, when we have suffering or sorrows in our lives, um, and celebrating who God is in the midst of that story is a very important component, I think, of worship. Because um, we have very deep, deep, meaningful experiences with people in the midst of those struggles and miracles, if you will, things that just don't naturally happen and blessings that just sort of show up that are surprises. And, and I think in looking at the peaks and valleys of life, we do really, really well celebrating at the peaks, you know, you get all those wonderful ladies to make their most favorite recipes and you throw all those guys together and, and slab a whole bunch of meat somewhere. And we tell stories and we laugh and we know how to play. But the minute something bad happens, sometimes we feel really awkward about that. But what I have found is um, living out the truth of Psalm 23 for another person is equally or more meaningful than a celebration. And what my wife and I have found and, and our family and, and our friends is that um, we, while we don't want to have these experiences, we don't have to be afraid of being left alone. We don't have to be afraid of being abandoned in them. What we embrace is that we are a connected people. And sometimes in these deep sorrows or in these tragedies or in these, the telling of the tale, the, the admission that we're in a part of our life story that we don't want to have as our story, people come out of the woodwork and they say, Hey, I've got a story too, or, Hey, I, I want to journey with you. And a part of what we will explore is how can we do that? And how can we do that as leaders so that people can come in and be ministered to. Uh, one more thing that crosses my mind is um, cancer runs in our family. And uh, my mom died from cancer when she was 42. I was 20. And when I was um, about 40, my older brother got the same kind of cancer that my mom did. It was a fatty tissue cancer and my mom died from hers. And, and I was at Ozark and I remember um, being shocked and I just thought I'm going to lose him. And, um, we had chapel twice a week during that time on Tuesday and Thursday. And I would come to chapel late. I would go up to the balcony and I would find a place on the uppermost row out of the way of everybody else. And I would sit on the back row and cry during the worship service. Um, I really couldn't find the words to sing. Um, but I knew that of all the places that I wanted to be, it was where the truth of the universe was being spoken and sung. Um, and while I couldn't engage with standing up and raising my hands and smiling, um, I could engage that truth um, in a very deep way that um, 
touched me in that time period in in ways that um, songs normally don't touch me. And it was actually one of the very best things that I did during that time was to participate in worship uh, by sitting in the back, not drawing attention to myself because people don't go there to watch professors cry. Um, but to sit in the back and, and arrive late, leave a little bit early, uh, because that's what I had to do and worship and, and to allow for my, my person to be in the presence of God in the presence of his people, knowing that even if the worst thing happened, that God would journey with us. The fortunate thing is my brother is alive. He beat the cancer. The treatments were, have improved over the years. And, um, it was a, it was a really great experience, but it was one that was very emotional and, um, being in that worship time, uh, was extremely meaningful for me. And so I just tell people, if you don't know what else to do, you get yourself to church on Sunday, <laughs> sit in the back, show up a little bit late if you need to. But there is something about letting the truth be around you when you're in one of those valleys and, and to let it be around you musically um, as well as um, sermonically and allow for God to minister through melody and minister through the truth of the word, minister through the singing of the Psalms in ways that are hard to put words to. Um, I didn't go to church when my wife was in the hospital, not, not our church. We did little hospital churches, which was different. Um, but it was, it, it wasn't quite the same because my, my wife was doing really, really well while I was in shock. It wasn't like I had this sense I was going to lose her immediately. And um, while that was never really a part of this story, um, when the doctors came in, she was stabilized and she just had um, bone problems. Um, and her life was not threatened the way that cancer threatened my brother's life. Um, the worship was really meaningful for my wife and I when... Um, a month after her accident, I wheeled her into the church in the wheelchair and, uh, we sat in the back row again, back row, Peter. And, um, of course she couldn't stand. She couldn't walk. She could not stand up for two and a half months. And I would just sit there with her and we would sing or just sit quietly in the back row, allowing for that, um, worship experience, the whole thing from people stopping by to say hello to the singing of songs, to the receiving of communion, to um, having people, you know, tap you on the shoulder and say hello when they're uh, passing out the, uh, the offering bags to listening to the sermon, you know, that entire experience reminded us that we, well, there are times that we felt alone in a sense that this is our story. Um, we're not alone at all. And um, tapping into that, is an honor and uh, we get to watch God work in our lives. And it's my hope that um, this experience of peaks and valleys will help for us to, you know, really celebrate the celebrations and really celebrate who God is in the valleys and who we are to each other and become more comfortable embracing the fullness of life. If I could say it this way, the full heart language of both joy and sorrow. You know, I, I have also, um, experienced that the acknowledgement of the human condition and um, a big collective experience of both um, people having 
coming into the worship service with joy and jubilation and coming into the worship service with burdens mm-hmm. uh, to, to have that recognition that we serve a God who meets us there. And we are a church that recognizes that not everybody is at the same spot to hear that um, spoken to, to have that recognized is really important that those who aren't um, all integrated and happy um, have a place. You know, this is their place too. And while they don't have to wear their story if they don't want to, or they, they don't have to draw attention to themselves, they don't have to go to the prayer tables like at our church, um, they can find somebody. But when they say, hey, this experience has happened in my life, like even this week, uh, I had a friend who texted me. I was at teaching at the spiritual formation retreat and I got this text that says, I need to talk to you today. And I knew that he had been in the hospital. And uh, after I had gotten home and gotten my things taken care of um, after the trip, I called him and we talked for an hour and he was telling me about his experience, his frustration that while he has these issues that are going on and was hospitalized for them, they couldn't find anything and how he spent last night crying about it. And uh, while he doesn't want to wear that and he doesn't want everybody to know that, he wants to be a part of a body where his story is known, both the successes and and what I would say, even the fears. And he said, I'm, I'm full of anxiety and I just cried and I woke my wife up and She's like really worn out with this too, because she knows that it's really wearing on me. And um, I just reminded him, I said, you know, we, we travel through life as partners. I mean, there is this sense that we're to have that, but in Christ, we do it as close partners, as brothers and sisters, as people who really do care about each other. And so we were just talking about his story and how he's doing and I'm just kind of sharing with all of that and and ending up praying that God gives him what what I like to think about is his daily bread, what he needs right now to get him through until his next test, which is coming up next week. Um, And and the whole goal, I think, of the, the idea of peaks and valleys is that we're in this together. You know, God is with us and we're with each other. And there is something comforting and something good and something healthy about opening up and telling somebody what really is happening in our lives. And when we as leaders of the church, uh, even me, when I make announcements or I preach a sermon, I'm not worship leading right now, but acknowledge that there are people here who are coming uh, with all kinds of experiences through the week. And we usually will do this during our uh, meditation before Uh, communion is the acknowledgement that no matter how our week has been, um, the cross is the place where we can come uh, with whatever emotions we have, with whatever experiences we have, and that Jesus meets us there. And there's ministry that he provides for us there. Uh, There's goodness that is there. There's an acceptance of who we are in our story. Um, There's empowering that happens there. I mean, this, the the experience of meeting Jesus in the Lord's Supper, we call it our church, the Jesus table, an invitation for Jesus to come, uh, an invitation for us to come and sit with him and to interact with him, to, to express our appreciation, but to also receive that um, the acknowledgement that we can do that is incredibly powerful.
Because if I'm feeling guilty or I, I had a rough week or I'm dealing with something that is addictive in my life or I've screamed at my kids for the 13th millionth time after promising I would never do that again. And uh, we had a parking lot conversion to where we just had a really rough morning, like the demons all showed up and attacked our children. And then we pull up into the church parking lot and we all pretend that everything's okay and we don't want to be there. There is this sense that that moment at the foot of the cross is one of the most personal moments. And to be led there in emotional integrity and honesty, it's incredibly important. And I think the, the really cool part about the retreat, although the emotions tend to be, they, they bring up weightier things. There is a lightness that also comes with that in being able to express. Uh, people feel better when they express their story and people listen and they express empathy and they care for you and they say thank you and they don't treat you any differently because you've opened up to say, I had this hardship in my life. I'm not making excuses, but this is who I am right now. And um, we all want to be known. We all want to know. And that deep connection we find in the church and, and in worship leading the entire experience. When we acknowledge that, it's actually freeing for people and it gives them an opportunity to find their, oh, I, Paul calls about, tells us that he wants us to be complete in Christ, right. wants us to be mature in Christ. He wants us to be whole in Christ. He wants us to be healed in Christ. That these moments, even in that corporate worship, move us toward that sense of being integrated in Christ rather than pretending. And I think one of the great things about this retreat is um, we're not going to pretend we're not going to stir stuff up just to stir stuff up, but we're going to, we're going to embrace our human experience about what it means to be in a place that doesn't work the right way. And um, who knows what's going to happen between um, now and when that retreat occurs for all of us, you know, and as people are listening to this today and they're coming, it's like, okay, what about my last week? What about my last two months? What about my last six months for me? What about my last two and a half years of dealing with secondary trauma at, at the foot of the cross and with God's people? There is a sense of release and goodness in the midst of heaviness. And I think that's the value and the beauty of learning some ways to manage what does it mean to live in a world with peaks and valleys? And I'm excited about being in a place where people can experience that. It's one thing to read about it. It's one thing to hear about it from another person's story, but it's entirely different when you recognize that managed well, there is a sense of belonging and a sense of connection and a sense of release in the midst of, if we could say this, sitting in the back seat of a church crying that your brother has cancer. And that's the amazing full experience of what it means to walk with the Lord through the valley of the shadow of death as it usually is identified. It's, it's gloom, the valley of the shadow of gloom, this big suffering that we can have or just these agitations in our life. And um, being able to take a look at that, I think is going to be important. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Even though I'm like, 
oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, okay. Now I got to figure it out. Right. <laughs> and it's been, it's been a great journey to try to think through what, what do we want to do with this? And mm-hmm. what's a great way to manage it? And how do we honor people in their stories, both in the celebratory aspect and in helping them work through some of these bigger emotions mm-hmm. that really give us a very robust human experience. I don't know if I've mentioned this yet, but I'm, I'm going to be leading worship this year at this year's retreat. And uh, my team and I, we've been working diligently just trying to figure out what music we're going to be using for this mm-hmm. this weekend. And um, I think we've come up on a few songs that I think will will capture the essence of this re- retreat well, um, really help us just be worshipful and mm-hmm. really sit at the throne. Um, and you know, it's going to, it's, it's going to feel different. Um, that first night we're going to be very, um, just acoustic driven. Uh, we haven't really done that a whole lot at these retreats. And so it'll be nice to get back to that and just, uh, be more intimate with one another, get really close mm-hmm. and, and personal. And, uh, I know a lot of people don't like those words, intimate, close and mm-hmm. personal, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, that's, that's exactly what God is with us. And, um, when we're together in community, we shouldn't, we shouldn't feel weird or awkward about that because God dwells with, with us and within us, mm-hmm. um, all the time. And so, um, intimate, close and personal is, is just our very being. So mm-hmm. <laughs> don't feel, feel too awkward about that. Um, but we're, we're just excited to, to be able to worship with everyone. Um, so definitely, you know, prepare your hearts for, for what's going to happen this weekend. Um, I think maybe we can transition into uh, just the last portion of this podcast, mm-hmm. just uh, talking about maybe a few questions or a few thoughts that could be discussed in the car with everyone mm-hmm. as they're as they're coming here. Mm-hmm. Uh, does anything come to mind? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I think the very first one is um, talking about ways in which we see God as being very real for us in our experiences, uh, both both celebratory, great experiences, and helping us through some of the challenges of life. Um, we lose track of what he's doing. I think um, one of the greatest challenges that we have as Christians is we walk by faith and not by sight. And so we couldn't overlook what God is doing in our lives, or we... We have an excellent forgetter, let's just say that, is <laughs> because we get distracted with whatever's coming up or we see the bigness of a situation and um, we can focus in on that bigness and not focus in on who God is in the midst of all of that. And then we can forget what he's already done for us. Uh, God walks by sight, not by faith. And so he always sees us. He never loses track of where we are. In fact, I think one of the most amazing stories about all this is when um, Jesus came walking on the water to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. He knew exactly where they were. He, he always knew where they were. And I think God knows exactly where we are all the time. And so I think one of the first things that we can do in the car is talk about that. I mean, how have I, when I look back on my life, seen that God has found me or parted the fog so I could see him or what has he done in my life that I need to remember that he has done for me. There's only one burning bush. There's only one parting of the Red Sea. There's only at times one way that God is going to react to me. And I'm going to want another one just like that. When my wife was in the hospital, she had a vision on the second morning. Um, I was awake with her and um, she was laying there in the hospital. She got hit on Monday and Tuesday morning at about 6.03, check the time. (laughs) She looked at me and she said, did you see that? And I looked at her and I said, see what? Did you see that bright light? 
So of course, you know, I'm Bible college scholar and I'm curious and I'm a scientist at nature and, and I'm like, okay, you're on drugs. (laughs) So what, what do you mean a bright light? What, what do you mean? And she said, I saw thousands of little winged creatures everywhere in this room. You didn't see them? No, I didn't see them. And she said, what do you think those were? And I said, what do you think those were? <laughs> um, Cause I checked her, you know, I said, do you know what day it is? It's Tuesday. Do you know where you are? Yes, I'm in, I'm in uh, Kansas City. She was aware and awake. And so it was not a hallucination. And um, the thousands of little winged creatures we decided were angels. Um, in Joplin, in the tornado, people would come out of their houses and they would say, there were these gigantic winged beings that held me and kept me from flying away. And all around Joplin, you'll see butterflies. They're uh, metal butterflies that are posted all over the place. And they represent the winged creatures that saved people that day. And uh, I looked at my wife and I just said, I think God has given you something to remind you that he is with you and that he's not going to give this to you again just now. And you have to hold on to this. And she, uh, we, we prayed about it and we, we uh, talked a lot about it. And I went back to church on Sunday. I went, went back to tell people how my wife was doing. So I traveled back to Joplin from Kansas city. And one of my really good friends uh, was listening to me tell this story and he started crying because we were at church and he looked at me and he said, I haven't told you what my daughter told me on Friday. She woke up and she painted your wife who was going to be her teacher that year. My wife was a fourth grade teacher has since retired, but um, she um, had my friend's daughter as one of her new students and um, his fourth grade daughter woke up and um, decided that he was going, she was going to paint my wife a picture of a butterfly blue background with a yellow butterfly with some highlights. And, um, my friend said to his daughter, why did you pick that? And she said, Jesus told me to paint this in a dream. So she painted a butterfly picture and I took it back on Sunday and it, um, looked like stained glass in the window. And it was always prominently displayed in a window in the hospital room or in the rehab hospital where she was as a reminder of what that vision was through the artistry of a child. And then Vanna said to me about two and a half weeks in, I wish that I would have that vision again. I said, remember I told you, you would wish that you would have that, (laughs) but God only gives us one of these and we have to hold on to it. There's your picture. And I think that it's easy to forget that the accident did not catch God by surprise. Before my wife was born, he knew that on June 19th, 2017, at 5.30-ish in the morning, she would get plowed into by a 16-year-old driver. And he had everything in place. And we can forget that. And he had it all the way down to a reminder 
by the child of an artist, her mom's an artist, to remind my wife that he loves and cares about her. Those are the stories that warm our heart. And what we say is, man, I wish, I wish that would happen to me. I wish that would happen to me. And um, another great story that I have about that is I worked with a, a colleague a number of years ago who was a single lady. She wanted to get married, didn't get married. She wanted to have children. She, she never had children. And she ended up being kind of like a prickly porcupine. And um, she kept people at a distance. She was a pretty strong-willed, on the more negative side of life woman. Um, she ended up with fatal cancer, cancer above and below the diaphragm. And I was with her when she got her diagnosis because she was single. She was one of my colleagues and um, I was working with her when we were at the children's home. And um, we were on our way to see her sister, her only surviving relative who was also single, to give her the bad news. And I was talking to um, my friend and I said, you know, God comes into our lives in amazing ways in these kinds of experiences when we are overwhelmed and he blesses us in such a way that we can be magnificent and that we can love people and laugh and um, just really become a person that we have always wanted to be. And she was laying down in the back seat, and I was driving and this little weak voice almost through tears said, I hope so. Three days later, my colleague became single-handedly one of the most amazing people I've ever seen. It was this complete shift, graceful, smiling, loving, caring, laughing, People flocked to her when they would have left her alone. Five weeks later, she went to be with Jesus. I ask myself, why couldn't that have been her life? And why was it saved to the last five weeks? I don't have an answer for that. But what I do know is that if it is ever my time to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we don't have to fear any evil because God is with us. And I'm going to count on him making me amazing. <laughs> you know, I mean, he made my wife amazing. He made her amazing. And those stories, those are the stories that if we know somebody or we see something, because at some point it will be our turn and we have to approach it with the eyes of faith and then to not forget. So I, that would be my first thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just reflecting on your Absolutely. life and, and finding that, that moment yeah. that you can reflect yeah. back to. And there's some of our best stories, yeah. Jeremiah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, the, the fun stuff. It's like, yeah, anyone can have a party, but when was the last time God showed up and did something like really cool, like give mm -hmm. you a little vision or make you amazing Right. when you know that that doesn't just happen? Mm -hmm. Those are the best stories ever. Yeah. I mean, there's two pivotal moments <laughs> in my life that I can think of is uh, 10 years ago, actually, uh, my wife and I were living in Kansas city and I was in a rock band, you know, touring around, having mm -hmm. a good time and just living that lifestyle way too hard. Um, and in our second year of marriage, I ended up becoming unfaithful to my wife and uh, I told her to leave. I didn't tell her what happened. Uh, I just kind of went crazy and told her to leave, mm -hmm. to go home, live with her parents um, while well, I tried to sort this out and figure it out for myself. Um, because I told myself I was never going to be that person. I was never going to yeah. be that guy. It was kind of the a common narrative within my family. And I didn't want to be that. I wanted to be the difference, you know, in my family. and. Um, 
and then that came came about and it happened. And so there was a lot that I was struggling with and trying to deal with. Um, about two months went by, and uh, I just got in a really deep depression. Mm-hmm. I was uh, drinking myself to sleep every night, and uh, I just went out on the balcony one night. Just felt like I needed to go out there, and it was a really starry night. I look up and. Uh, I made my wish upon a star, mm. if you if you may. Like I just I I lifted up a prayer to God. I had a brief stint with the church when I was in high school, so I knew that prayer was an option. I knew that you know that God was an option. Um, I embraced him a little bit during that time, but I he was not close to me, uh, or I didn't feel like he was close to me um, through a lot of my life after after that brief stint. And so, um, lifted up that prayer, and I can honestly say it was through that prayer where God started putting all the pieces of my life back together. Um, I, w- I felt convicted to ask my wife for forgiveness and somehow she mm-hmm. forgave me through all of that. Um, and I moved back to Joplin to live with her and her parents for a really awkward year while mm, we uh, went I through bet. some, yeah, went through some yeah. marriage counseling and um, got some good footing. But, um, you know, God was, was with us the whole way. Uh, there was a, a group that asked us to be a part of a, a small group. Um, some friends that my wife knew in high school, they just got married and they're like, Hey, we should hang out. And, then they kind of convinced us to go to the small group, you know, and uh, I was like, all right, well, I don't really have anything to lose in this. So let's mm-hmm. just go and be a part mm-hmm. of it and see what happens. And um, I met a guy there. His name's Justin Gill. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember him. Yes. He might have been a student of yours. Yeah, he uh, was. Yeah. Another one. Right. <laughs> um, but he invited me to a Bible study and we nice. um, went through the book of Acts. We were listening to Shane Wood and Mark Moore's lectures. And yeah. Um, it was Acts 4.13 when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were common, educated people. They were astonished and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And that really resonated with me. It stuck with me. I don't know what it was. I mean, the only thing I can say is, yeah, that was a that was a God mm-hmm. moment. And I felt convicted that this is that's what exactly what I needed to do. I needed to, to allow people to see that Jesus is with me. And uh, mm-hmm. so I dedicated my life to Christ right in that moment. And uh, they're like, hey, you play music. You should be, you know, you should lead worship for a group. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> I started learning all these songs throughout the history of Christendom and, yeah. um, you know, you know, preparing things each week for our small groups and playing songs. And they're like, Hey, you're, you're kind of good at this. Maybe you should consider going to Ozark Christian college. And I go, I don't know where that place is. And it was literally just up the street. Yep. Yep. It's amazing how many people don't know where this place is, yep. uh, in Joplin. But, uh, <laughs> I went up to, I went up the hill and, Went on a Tuesday tour and I knew exactly that this is where I needed to be. Um, mm-hmm. Did my four years and uh, now I'm teaching here as a professor. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess you can consider a professor. I'm teaching guitar, yep. but um, yeah. And it's just been, it's been a crazy ride ever since. Um, God's been there the whole way. Um, there's this an- another moment when uh, we have a required class. We can either do the spiritual formation retreat or the uh, wilderness challenge through Ozark. And I chose the wilderness challenge because mm. who wants to sit around and just talk about your feelings all the time? Um, that's how I felt at the time anyways. Uh, so, <laughs> that's the retreat that I just got back yeah, yeah. from leading. So that was funny. <laughs> that is funny. Uh, but it, it ended up being that way around a campfire anyways, yep. most nights uh, yep. during the wilderness challenge. Um, but that was a very formative experience for me. And there was actually uh, a night where um, we set up a Karen or Karen, uh, you know, just a pile of rocks mm-hmm. out on the, on the trail. And we were all put in locations for 24 hours by ourselves. Um, we were supposed to fast the whole entire day and all we had was a journal and a Bible and our water bottle, mm. um, in our tent, obviously, um, which was really just a tarp and some string, but you know, mm-hmm. it was great. It's still a tent. Um, and it's March. Yeah. And it's March. Right. Yes. So it was cold. 
Um, in Missouri. In Missouri, right, right. And we're right by water the whole night. And so, yeah, it was, it was a little chilly. Um, but that that day, that whole day, I just I journaled. I filled my whole entire journal. Um, and I just released all these demons of the past. Just mm-hmm. um, lots of things that I you know felt guilty about that I just wanted to lift up to God. And uh, I was I was attacked. I was spiritually attacked that night as I was sleeping. And um, I didn't feel comfortable talking about this for the longest time because I felt like I was crazy. But um, I realized this is a one of those I guess Karen moments in my life mm-hmm. that I can go back to and I can um, go back there for refreshment um, and know that God is with me. But there were there was cackling all around my tent. Things were pulling at me, and I just kept saying the the name of Jesus in my head mm-hmm. um, over and over and over until. Everything went away and I came back to it and you can call it sleep paralysis or however you want to, you know, frame that. But, um, there was the most calming presence over me in that moment. Mm. And I walk out of my tent and I look up and it's another one of those super starry nights. Mm. Um, so I'm looking up at the stars again and to my right, I look over and there's a deer just standing right next to me. And, uh, it kind of looks my way and just prances off. And, um, that I just use that, that image, that vision as a reminder that, um, you know, the deer are by still water and mm-hmm. they're, they're drinking from that stream. And you know, that's exactly where I need to be, um, to be present, be still be, um, by that stream of water constantly in my mind mm-hmm. and in my mm-hmm. life. And, um, because that's where God will reveal himself is in those, in those quiet present moments and, and just knowing that he's near. And yes. I think that was just, that was the symbol, you know, there was yeah, something near to me that uh, wouldn't naturally be near to me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I resonate well with those experiences. Yeah. And, yeah. I uh, think we have them and yeah. we don't talk about them mm-hmm. or we just, we need to celebrate them. Yeah. I Which agree. leads to the second one. It's mm-hmm. great. What mm-hmm. you have shared is, uh, what does God want me to learn or experience at this retreat? Um, I think one of the really great roles that you and I have, as well as other people who have the honor of helping to put this together, is um, through our praying and talking and thinking and assessing and <clears throat> being led by Scripture, um, we're doing the best that we can to pull together an environment that... Um, we believe and hope that the Holy Spirit will work through to individually minister and lead each person and um, making ourselves available to that leading is one of the most important ways that we can, we could say this, let the Holy Spirit plow our hearts. So even talking in the car about, well, why are you coming? What do you hope to get from this? Um, is there anything that I would like to learn, um, either about worship leading or about helping people manage some of these stronger emotions or how do I, when, when somebody comes up to me and just dumps all over me, just like, blah, what do you say? You know, somebody walks up and says, my husband has left me or somebody walks up and says, I just got a cancer diagnosis or somebody just walks up and cries and says, I'm sorry, I'm crying. It's like, cause they feel so self-conscious. Um, people attach to those that are on the stage who they believe will love and care them. And I think part of coming to a retreat where we're going to say, hey, we're going to take a look at the some of these emotional parts of life that people don't always know what to do with. 
um, maybe learning how to love people and minister to them in that moment and caring for them is something that we need to get a little more comfortable with also. It is our own journey that helps us to be comfortable with somebody else on theirs. We're not having the same journey, but we're having similar experiences of anxiety or uncertainty and just asking for God, you teach me what I need to learn or develop or be aware of as we take a look at what I would just want to say, the fullness of life, you know, just the, the, the heart language of people of both celebration and sorrow and um, make me um, a more competent minister. One of my favorite verses of why a regular person like me and you can even think about doing ministry comes from Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, where Paul tells us that it is God who makes us competent. Very similar to Acts chapter 4 that you had talked about. And um, I just recognize that I, I grew up in a family with an alcoholic father and a dad, a mom that would drag us to a, a church that was beyond legalistic. We were so legalistic. We were legalistic about being legalistic. Um, that, that growing up in a dysfunctional family that had issues and growing up in a church that emphasized um, their version of truth over anything else um, and... and trying to disentangle that and figure out what faith really was and what are healthy relationships and how do you move forward through, you know, just the emotional side of life to have any kind of healthiness. Um, God is the one who makes us competent, no matter where we are, no matter how we come to him, if we will make ourselves available to him. And I view this retreat as a way for people to step forward in confidence and Holy Spirit competence to manage emotions, to help to create an environment by which people can connect with Christ through the opportunities that are presented in corporate worship. We want to get out of the way so that they can find Jesus. Right. God is, has them in his sights. He sees them and he moves toward them and we need to move toward him and we need to get out of the way. It's kind of like we put them together and we step back and let them have a conversation. Right. That's what I see this as. And so learning how to do that or experiencing that or catching ways of creating opportunities for people to connect in this way, I think is going to be really, really important um, for the big times in life where we just want people to connect more emotionally, full-bodied, uh, maybe more thoughtfully than what they normally would do because we often come in on autopilot. I know what we're going to do. I know we're going to stand up. We're going to sit down. We're going to sing these, these similar songs. But I need to help lead people to Christ, both verbally between songs and to ask that God in some amazing, mysterious way would use the melody or the words to bring people to his throne of grace, that they would see him instead of me and what I'm wearing or how I'm singing, or if I'm raising my hands or not, or if they like the music, but in some way that God enters into that moment because my heart is a heart of service that he would make the worship a competently, spiritually connective worship. It's not about me. It's not about the band. It's not about what I say. It's not about the, the orchestration of the morning. It's about the Holy Spirit showing up with our best offering that we've got, even if it's only 70% because two people called in sick. And he does something amazing because we ask him and we get out of the way. So 
I think praying about that and maybe talking about what I, what do I want to learn or what are some of the skills that I want to be able to experience a little bit better, like drawing people to the throne of grace or being able to put some things together a little bit better or, um, helping us to function better as a team, something just, what what are you coming for? will be really kind of cool too. And maybe make a little list of that and, um, just see on the way home what you think about that and what new stories you have or new experiences you have. And what are some of the, the ways that you see God working in your life? Those would be the top two things I think that would be really, really cool to be able to see God working in our lives. Now, the other thing that I would say is because this is really emotional, we don't mean to set off anything inside of somebody. But if if that happens, uh, people are more than welcome to talk to me about it. Um, I'm, I talk to a lot of people about a lot of their experiences from abuse and addiction to tragedies and trauma. Um, I work with an organization that works with sexually trafficked boys and Um, We recognize that when we move in this area, when people remember things, um, there might be the need to have some talking about that. And we recognize that. So um, while we don't mean to be putting in a big old stick and stirring up a bunch of stuff, um, we live emotional lives and worship brings it out. And so I think the other thing is to just ask for the Holy Spirit to minister to each of us as we recount his goodness. Um, and recount his mercies within our own story. And also, if there is something that happens that touches us deeply, um, either in joy or touches an area of our life that God is still healing, that um, the Holy Spirit really ministers to us in that moment um, privately, as well as who's a person that I can maybe pray with to ask for God to keep moving me forward in some way. I mean, it's always one of the, the potential experiences that people can have um, by remembering their their life. You know, sometimes I can't talk about my wife's accident without crying or other experiences, which is fine. I mean, I'm quite used to it now. Um, but, you know, we, we live emotional experiences and lives and sometimes we discount them. And I would expect that there might be these, you know, swells of emotion. Um, I particularly get them. I was talking to you about this before. Certain melodies really move me. You know, any, any kind of Celtic kind of melody, I mean, I just, whoa, it just doesn't, it just does something to me where some melodies, they don't really, they don't touch me in the same way. And so there's no telling how the Holy Spirit is going to orchestrate this experience for each person. And uh, when the swells happen, I would just say, you know, just let, let, let them occur and let the Holy Spirit minister in deep ways where we cast our cares and we just ask him to move us forward in healing. And we, we practice what we're going to ask other people to do. (laughs) You know, if you need to sit, sit, if you need to pray, pray, if you stand and raise your hands, let it be to the glory of God. If you, if you just need to sit in the back and cry, then sit in the back and cry for a little bit, because all of that is incredibly healthy. And uh, we tend to think Oftentimes that worship is one, one kind of experience and um, being able to express ourselves is going to be really cool, I think. So getting ready for that, um, recognizing that I want the Holy Spirit to minister to me and to teach me and to train me. And even as um, a main speaker, you know, I pray for the same thing because I always learn something. I notice something. Um, he speaks to me, um, especially while I'm working on things. And sometimes even while I'm preaching, hmm, 
That's always fun. You know, where you get an insight, it's like, oh, wow. It's almost like, well, Peter, are you paying attention to this? You know, well, I'm trying not to right now because I'm trying to preach. But, you know, he still ministers in that way. And I think we all avail ourselves to his goodness. And that's going to be really, really exciting. Um, I think the last thing is um, when when that is done, or maybe even when people arrive, to uh, to begin this like a Sabbath experience, a setting aside of a time to honor and glorify God and to, um, as a group, pray that the book ends, the beginning and the end, and everything that happens in between will be something that will deeply nourish them and will help to conform them to who Christ wants them to be, to the image of God. And we are his image bearers. And Jesus was a master at meeting people where they are. And that's really what we're asking is, can we, can we meet people where they are in a worship experience uh, through, through the range of life? And um, just ask that we will be more conformed to the image of Christ um, individually and collectively as a team and allow for God's goodness and who he designed us to be to grow while we are here. And, um, track some of that or experience that or notice some of that and be ready to share some of those insights, hunches or experiences on the way back. You know, when the bookend goes and people start driving away, it's like, okay, we've, we've put our little bookends on this of just being on the grounds as, as almost holy ground of, of just being with the Lord in this way. Um, what are some of the in Christ experiences that we have had? Because those are the conversations we want after our worship services. So tell me, how do you, how did God meet you today in worship? When was the last time we had that conversation? What is God teaching you through what you experienced in this morning's worship? Or for somebody who is um, sorrowing, um, we just we've had some significant deaths in our congregation. Of the uh, the last charter member of our church died two and a half weeks ago, um, and. To have the church go from 15 people to at our peak before we planted another church, it was 3,300 people, to know that for 65 years, um, in almost um, every service on a Sunday, one of those services, we had a charter member who watched our church grow. Now an, an era is over and their family is grieving. And uh, one of one of her daughters said, "You know, I'm just I'm really taking up a lot of your time." And I, she was crying, and I said, "It's this is what we do. This is where we are." And the question is, is how are you celebrating your mom's life? What are you What are you experiencing in the worship that she dedicated her life to provide by being one of those really cool older people who recognized that the church needed to adapt to be able to reach people who otherwise couldn't find Jesus because their walking by faith was walking in darkness. And they needed, they needed an environment that somehow gave them a motivation to pursue. And she recognized that. And she stepped out of the way to allow for that to happen. And uh, it was a great deal of respect and honor for people who do that. And, and we've lost her. She actually wrote me a letter. When I became an elder, I asked her to write me a letter. Her husband died on the way to church one Sunday to make sure that it was safe to come to church because we had had an ice storm. And he was driving his pickup truck 
and it just slid a little bit off the side of the road. <clears throat> it wasn't like any big accident, and he got out of the vehicle in order to see um, if he could get get his truck going again. And when he came around to the front of the vehicle, he slipped and he hit his head on the the front chrome bumper, and he died on the side of the road. Don Witherspoon. And so I've always felt like when I became an elder, I stand on his shoulders. And um, I asked his wife, write me a letter about what does it mean to be an elder? And she took about eight months. She said, I don't really have anything to say. I said, yes, you do. Write me a letter. And so on one of those little teeny tiny or those, those small little yellow pads that could fit into a journal, she wrote me three pages of what it means to be an elder. And I have them glued in my um, journal of who do I want to be when I grow up to be like Jesus. And um, I read it to people who are new elders. And when I do leadership training and um, little, and I remember Anne. And so, you know, with her family who comes, how is God ministering to them right now? And I can ask them that as a minister, a pastor, an elder is, what is God saying to you in the worship service? And how is he, see, how is he communicating with you in this time when we are celebrating what has happened in your family and we grieve what is happening in your family? You know, that learning how to have that kind of a conversation um, with people just makes it so much more meaningful because those are the one-on-ones afterwards. It's not like fine sermon pastor, <laughs> great music, Jeremiah. Right. It's like good <laughs> Not doing it for that. Right. What What is God? How is God showing up in your life today? Imagine if we could treat it, uh, help, help an army of people ask that question and get our churches thinking about what is happening corporately in full emotion, both in celebration and in sorrow within our lives in order for, for the Holy Spirit to conform us to the image of Christ. That would be amazing. That would be the last thing to pray about. Lord, teach me. Teach me how to do that in this sacred space of fullness when, when we arrive on the grounds. And then let's share what we're learning. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Peter. It's been a pleasure getting yeah, to talk with you. It's great to talk to, to you yeah, again. Yeah, this has been fantastic. So uh, once again, we're excited to be with you all and uh, drive safe. Yes. And uh, we'll see you soon. Excellent. Thank you for listening to the Respond Worship Podcast. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to our website and social media. Follow and subscribe to keep up with new episodes and feel free to rate and review us. We want this to be the best possible resource for you and your teams. So your feedback is extremely important. God bless, and we'll see you next time.